the question is how how do you separate yourself from a thousand other opportunities? Uh, and so I'd say one of the key success factors uh, for companies is, of course, how entrepreneurial and creative they are, uh, from a leadership point of view. And you know, the you would like to think in a pure world, whatever shows up in your executive summary is is the key determinant. But how it comes in is actually really important. And so the best way to engage is, of course, through a warm referral. And if you don't happen to know us directly or know somebody in our team, I would go to LinkedIn or do something and find somebody who knows us uh, so that the introduction comes in uh, through a warm referral. I think that's a really important component. And of course, we have a whole ecosystem of CEOs and colleagues and corporate partners and so forth that should be able through one degree of separation, make that connection. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, in this MedSider interview, we're sitting down with Garhang Kong, the founder and managing partner of HealthQuest Capital. Garhang is the only member of his family who isn't a practicing physician, but he's still involved in the profession through funding healthcare advancements as a venture capitalist. Garhang's resume is broad and deep. He has earned numerous degrees from two of the nation's most prestigious universities, Stanford and Duke, and funded an equally impressive collection of healthcare companies throughout his career. Garhang got a start in investing with InterSouth Partners, and after fine-tuning his skills, he launched HealthQuest Capital, a private asset firm focused on providing growth capital to companies transforming the healthcare industry. Here are a few of the things that we're going to learn from his experiences. Companies that pursue venture capital funding should approach it very strategically. Focus on warm introductions and carefully constructed pitch decks that answer common investor questions. Second, syndicated deals are also an option for startups, but require a strategy that ensures the product doesn't fall victim to having too many cooks in the kitchen. Two to three primary investors are ideal when going the syndication route. Third, the pandemic has changed the future of healthcare and investors are paying attention to emerging trends as they make decisions about what businesses to fund. Solutions in healthcare that address national migration patterns in the emerging gig economy are two areas that have piqued Garhang's interest. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I want to mention a few things. First, since you're listening to MedSider, you're probably aware of how expensive it is to run clinical trials. Anyone who spent time in the medtech space knows that you typically need to commit hundreds of thousands of dollars, oftentimes millions, towards clinical research. But it doesn't have to be that way, and here's why. Proofpilot is a new kind of hybrid clinical trial platform that enables you to run decentralized studies at costs that are 40 to 80% below traditional approaches. This is how they do it. First, you can easily design a trial in the Proofpilot visual protocol designer using their extensive library of templates. Next, you can launch those trials to participants and virtual staff without any technical development. Skip the integration of disconnected providers because Proofpilot pulls it all together seamlessly. For example, you can recruit, consent, and retain participants, then schedule, remind, and collect data, often with minimal manual labor, manage site data in real time, query adverse events quickly, and review data and preliminary analysis within hours, all in one compliant platform. Get up and running quickly with an annual license fee and launch as many trials as you like with an unlimited number of participants. To get started, visit MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash ProofPilot. For the MedSider audience, with an annual contract, ProofPilot will provide IRB approval for your first study at no cost. 
Some exclusions apply, so visit medsiderradio.com forward slash proofpilot to learn more. Okay, second, if you're into learning from proven medtech leaders and want to know when the new content and interviews go live, head over to medsider.com and sign up for our free newsletter. You'll get access to gated articles and lots of other interesting healthcare content. If you want even more inside info from medtech experts, think about a Medsider premium membership. We talk to experienced healthcare leaders about the nuts and bolts of running a business and bringing products to market. This is your place for valuable knowledge on specific topics like seed funding, prototyping, insurance reimbursement, and positioning a medtech startup for an exit. In addition to the entire back catalog of MedSider interviews over the past decade, premium members get exclusive Ask Me Anything interviews and masterclasses with some of the world's most successful medtech founders and executives. Since making the premium memberships available, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people have signed up. So if you're interested, go to medsider.com to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hi, Garhang. Pleasure to have you on Medside Radio. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Yeah, looking looking forward to the discussion. And I think it's going to be a great one for uh, for anyone that's uh, involved in uh, you know medical device, health technology, startups. So um, with that said, let's first start out with uh, kind of a high-level overview of your background. We could probably spend half the conversation talking about your, your kind of trajectory within within healthcare, but maybe we'll, maybe you can provide just kind of a, a brief background and then, um, and then secondarily, tell us a little bit more about uh, Health Plus Capital as well. Sure. Yeah. Happy to do that. I guess the bullet points on me are actually pretty easy. You know, I grew up in Fresno, California, which is an agricultural community. I ended up going to Stanford for two degrees. I was a chemical engineer and a biologist. I actually played volleyball there. So I had a good time. Uh, and then I did four degrees at Duke. I did my master's and PhD in biomedical engineering, my MD and MBA. And six degrees later, I thought I should probably get a job. So uh, at that point, I went to uh, then Glaxo Welcome, now GlaxoSmithKline. I was at McKinsey. And then I did a couple of stints as a founder and CEO uh, in healthcare and got lucky twice. And then now I've been investing in healthcare for the last you know 22 years and had the pleasure of, and privilege of starting HealthQuest about nine years ago. Uh, so that's sort of a quick background, but the, the real genesis of HealthQuest, a little bit more on the personal side, turns out that everybody in my family is a practicing physician. I'm the actually only non-practicing doctor in our family. So my, my wife, my sister, dad, mom, everybody are physicians. Um, we joke about it. You can get your, you have to get your MD actually. You can flip hamburgers, do whatever you want after that, but that's the rite of passage. And, you know, my father's a cardiologist, turns out so is my wife. And, you know, he might've seen 50,000 patients uh, in his career and he knew them all very well. Uh, you know, he knew of course their medical issues, but their family members and so forth. And of course he knew all their names. Uh, and I like that concept, but the idea to maybe innovate and, you know, invent a new medical device or diagnostic, we had the opportunity to reach more people uh, you might not know their names, but you have more scale uh, was really attractive to me. And that's how I got involved with uh, innovation and developing products and then ultimately companies. Uh, and then for me, at least, I thought, well, if I can do one or two companies, maybe I should partner support 50 companies and really have the opportunity to impact patient lives. Although you won't know their names at this point, it's much larger scale, but the opportunity to reach folks. That's the sort of personal aspect as to how I got into healthcare investing and uh, and why. With respect to HealthQuest and what do we do specifically, you know, the focus of HealthQuest is 
pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, if you go to our website, you'll see a mission statement that says, you know, our mission is to improve people's lives through healthcare innovation. Uh, and we do that by partnering with best in class people. And ultimately we do that through investing in transformative healthcare businesses. But more tactically speaking, you know, our focus is around value optimization. Uh, and as you know, of course, value in healthcare is defined as two things. And it's really better patient outcomes and then better health economics. So for us, it's kind of cost benefit, if you will. So we invest in all manners of commercial stage healthcare businesses that result in better patient outcomes or better health economics. Uh, so that, of course, includes medical devices and diagnostics and digital health, you know, tech-enabled healthcare services and so forth. Ironically, we don't do much biotech investing uh, because of the binary risk uh, nature to it. And most of those companies are not commercial uh, as well. Uh, maybe the last bullet point uh, I'd share is we typically invest sort of 20 to 30 to start. We can go as low as probably 10 or 15. And we've gone up to call it 100 in any given company. So pretty broad range. Uh, we do like to be active uh, partners. We're on the board of all the portfolio companies that we've had the opportunity to partner with. Uh, so I'll pause there and happy to answer any more questions. Yeah, there's. Uh, I, I want to get into kind of this uh, this hypothetical scenario that will that will play out for you know a, a would be you know med tech entrepreneur, health tech entrepreneur. But before we go there, just a couple a couple follow up questions. So one specific to your background, just more of a, more of like just some context. I mean, incredibly impressive resume. I mean, I think for for anyone that's that's an understatement. It reminds me of a, a good friend of mine. Uh, Ryan Eglin, who's the chief medical officer at, at Cardiovascular Systems. It's like, you know, this MD, uh, PhD, MBA from like top tier, top tier schools, kind of similar, similar to yourself. So with that said, when you, when you kind of were earlier on in your career, did you know, I mean, were, did you have kind of sort of an, a bias towards like kind of the, the startup sort of ecosystem? Um, like what, what kind of brought you down this, this particular path? You can add some, a little bit more, more detail there. Yeah, and, you know, to be fair, I was extremely naive growing up. I thought everybody was a physician and that if you got your medical degree, you needed to see patients. Mm -hmm. uh, and so really it was incremental steps where I realized having an MD is actually a technical degree. Uh, you can see patients, of course, but you can apply it towards innovation. And then I spent time at a larger company, Glaxo, uh, and realized that there was a lot of scale, but it was not the fastest moving situation. Uh, and so that's actually where I ultimately got involved on the entrepreneurship side. And I actually realized that in some sense, large companies are set up to do uh, things that are wonderful and fantastic, but really small startup high growth companies can cause the most amount of sort of change and innovation. And, and so that part uh, excited me. And, you know, maybe the other thing I would say is there are a lot of really smart, hardworking folks at big companies but because of their size and scale, you know, they need to have 70 or 80% of that population be, you know, more yeoman in some sense. Whereas in the startup world, you don't actually have room for that. So everybody position by position uh, needs to be super passionate and talented and hardworking. You don't really have room for the kind of 80% player. And, uh, and so it's in some sense, pretty Darwinian in nature <laughs> as well. Uh, and so that that was attractive to me uh, in terms of what you could do per sort of pound for pound, if you will. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and kind of circling back to some of your kind of uh, the way you described HealthQuest Capital. So you you mentioned 
check size, right? Or like, I guess, dollar capital invested in a company. Do you typically yeah. like to lead rounds then? Yeah, I would say okay. we lead most of the rounds that we do. It's not a absolute requirement, but if you, if we went back and sampled, probably 80 to 90 percent of the time we're leading the rounds. Uh, occasionally we do participate. We were quite active. I mentioned we're on the board of every partner company. Uh, so that te- happens to be our tendency. Got it. And then um, you mentioned commercial stage quite a bit. So do you do you invest only when a, a company has a product that's ready for commercialization? Have they hit a certain regulatory milestone or do you get involved You know, prior to that, maybe in a more clinical stage? Yeah, no, for us, it's really a question of whether there's a binary risk. Uh, so there isn't a uh, revenue requirement per se, but what we don't do uh, is invest in companies that on the front end of a PMA or a, or any sort of regulatory uh, moment. And of course, that means that we miss some really fantastic companies that have technologies and ultimately get acquired long before they ever uh, get commercial. Uh, but because of the span of what we invest in, uh, including, of course, medical devices, but all sorts of connected devices, combination devices, AI applied to healthcare and, and so forth, uh, it keeps our our focus, I guess. Got it. Got it. And you're... Would you say that you're sort of um, vertical agnostic then or category agnostic? You'll invest in orthopedics, cardiovascular, the, yeah. the entire gamut? Yes, we are. So we're therapeutic area agnostic. And I think for us, again, it comes down to better patient outcomes, better health economics. And as I like to say, we're very happy to do the Nobel Prize, but we're also very happy to do what I call the paperclip of healthcare, which is low tech but it got used 10 billion times last year. And if you make it a little bit better, it's also great. Yeah. Uh, so we are pretty open-minded about that. Sometimes we get asked, well, what are the things that you won't do? And that it's more personal experience than it really is, I would say, a specific category. So for example, you know, sepsis has been a really hard category. Uh, so sometimes we're more cautious about that. Or wound healing, uh, for example, has been a very difficult category. There's nothing wrong with it. Those are both huge market opportunities, uh, but we've had a little bit uh, more trials and tribulations in some of those uh, areas. Uh, But overall, we're actually quite open-minded. In fact, one of our main theses is in fact that the best opportunities are on the edge of the box. And I'll give you an extreme example, not extreme, I guess, but an outlier example. One of my current partners, uh, Randy Scott, who I've worked with for over 20 years, when we first met, he was a CEO of a oral healthcare company. His words, my word is a toothpaste company, uh, <laughs> but it was a innovative bioactive ingredient. And I think he talked to 50 venture capitalists, all of who said, I'm not doing a toothpaste deal. And we ultimately partnered and it was a fantastic investment for us. He did a great job and uh, it was an outsized multiple because we were willing to even look at a toothpaste deal. Uh, so I guess my point is we explicitly want to be open-minded about the kinds of companies that we partner with. Got it. Got it. On that note, I, I, uh, I want to get into the kind of the, the substance of the conversation here. Do you invest in consumer companies too then, or is it just specific to kind of like traditional B2B kind of plays? Yeah. So we have a significant focus on, I would call it B2B, where we're thinking about hospital systems, payers, you know, larger institutional sales. But we do actually have multiple partner companies that have a consumer-facing uh, component to it. So, for example, we're involved with uh, a company called Everly Well and now Everly Health, 
which is a home diagnostic business, a lot of people know them for their consumer facing home tests, which of course is an important part of the business. But what people may not know is that they have a very significant uh, enterprise business where they're doing businesses with large companies and state agencies and, and so forth. And so uh, that's what we really underwrote. Uh, so if you look at our partner companies, they may have aspects of that, but the, the main thesis is more typically enterprise. Okay. Okay. Very good. I love Everly Well, by the way. Uh, great, oh, yeah. yeah. Great investment. I love that. I love what that, and it, it's been cool. I mean, obviously the, the, the COVID-19 kind of uh, pandemic sure. sort of like served as a you know, great tailwind there. And I'm sure, you know, I think we're going to kind of chat about your experiences investing throughout this, uh, this COVID-19 window, but, um, but yeah, I, I love, I love what, what's happened, what they've done. Yeah. That team's done with, done a great job. with Everly Well. Yeah. So um, on that note, let's, let's get to, um, I, I mean, it's, this is going to be a fun conversation because I'm going to put myself in the shoes of, uh, of a would-be, you know, um, med tech, health tech, med tech entrepreneur sure. that's trying to yep. get your attention. And maybe I, I, what I want to do is kind of work through, and we probably won't have time to get like totally in the weeds here, but I want to kind of work through this process of like, how do I get the attention of Garhang or your team at HealthQuest? What does this process look like, you know, if presuming your team is interested? And I kind of want to take, you know, the, uh, I'd love med tech folks or health tech folks to kind of hear from the other side of the table, so to speak, um, you know, yep. get your perspective on, on, on these deals. So let's start there. And, um, and let, let's just start with um, um, that, you know, someone that wants to get your team's attention. Can you kind of provide us a little bit of like uh, insight into what what that looks like before? Like, how how does a how does an executive summary or pitch even get to your desk? Yeah, no, that's a really important question. You know, just to give you a few numbers, uh, right? Our team will see about a thousand opportunities in any given calendar year. So it is. I think we saw two hundred and sixty last quarter. So plus or minus, call it a thousand. Uh, so it's a it is a lot, right? And the question is how. How do you separate yourself from a thousand other opportunities? Uh, and so I'd say one of the key success factors uh, for companies is, of course, how entrepreneurial and creative they are uh, from a leadership point of view. And, you know, the you would like to think in a pure world, whatever shows up in your executive summary is, is the key determinant, but how it comes in is actually really important. And so the best way to engage is, of course, through a warm referral. And if you don't happen to know us directly or know somebody on our team, I would go to LinkedIn or do something and find somebody who knows us uh, so that the introduction comes in uh, through a warm referral. I think that's a really important component. And of course, we have a whole ecosystem of CEOs and colleagues and corporate partners and so forth that should be able through one degree of separation, make that connection. Uh, so I think that's probably... First thing I'd say, the second is in the absence of that, we've actually seen some very, I would say, creative entrepreneurs. Uh, and we know if we're on the back end of the dear sir, you know, I'm doing this company and they cut and pasted it a hundred times. But what we've always found to uh, just a little effort, which is, you know, dear HealthQuest team member, whoever that happens to be, uh, you know, I noticed that you made this investment and it's related to what we do and you made this other investment. And oh, by the way, I heard you speak at MedSider and I really liked your comment. And you know, that's probably five minutes of homework, three sentences on the front end, but the probability of somebody on our team reading that and responding is much, much higher uh, as well. So you know, a couple things to, to consider. I mean, we do have a submit business plan over the website and somebody will read all of those, but 
I think getting traction is less likely through that third avenue. You got it. No, that, that that's good stuff. I'm reminded, um, it, like hearing you describe that reminds me of a, of a couple of things. One is, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen this. There's, there's like one, one, there's the clear copy and paste, right. Which is like, dear, dear sir, or dear doctor, you know, um, or however they want to introduce, you know, like provide that, that, that introduction. Then right. there's like the person that sort of wanted to be to personalize things, but like clearly missed the mark. It's like I, whatever automation tool they're using was like not, <laughs> not in line or pretty off. Um, and then there's like the, the real winners that's like, oh, wow, they actually did listen to that interview or they did read that thing I wrote or they like it's clear. It's very clear that they, you know, th- that they did take the time. And and, and I don't know, it just it, like it. I'm not sure if you'd agree with this, but it's like sort of like. I, I've seen it as well. Like it's, it's very clear that people that actually did take the time to do a little bit of research. Yeah. In and, dance. Yeah. and it's less so much that you feel uh, satisfied uh, that they spent some time looking at what you did as it is that it's a proxy for how mm-hmm. they operate and how dedicated and diligent and how, uh, how much perseverance they have, not in the discussion with us, but the discussion when they're talking to customers and other partners. And so it's actually a helpful filter. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point. I'm also reminded of this story um, from the early days of uh, I can't remember the, the entrepreneur's name, but he's the founder of Grasshopper.com, which was kind of like one of the first virtual phone systems. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling the story. This was before it was like I think this was maybe early 2000s, where it was let like I mean it wasn't as easy to get in contact with someone. And they sent um, you mentioned the how right how someone's actually going to like try to get in in, in front of you and your team. But I remember that him him saying telling the story about how they they um, they created because the the company name was Grasshopper. They did like they identified like a custom bakery to make these like chocolate covered grasshoppers that actually tasted yep. good. And then they did handwritten notes and personalized them to all these like pretty you know pretty influential journalists at the time because they 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 uh, this was back when maybe earned media looked a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and it, and it was a clear winner for them. But they like they went clearly above and beyond, not just with like a gimmick, but they you know they introduced like it was a handwritten personalized note to that journalist, you know. And so I don't know. I'm reminded of like creative stories like that that aren't mess- that kind of gimmicky, but but it's very clear that you know there's a personal touch as well. So yeah, um, yeah. Totally but, uh, I, I love I love your I love your response about serving as as a proxy for how someone's going to execute too. So that's that's good stuff. So let's fast forward. Presume I've got your attention now. I've, I've I've done my diligence. I've made it in, so to speak. You mentioned a little bit of thing. You mentioned um, a little bit about what um, what may turn you on to saying yes. I'm interested in, in learning a little bit more. Like what's a, a clear no? This is not something I wanna I wanna even take a look at. Are there like strong signals either way when you look at an executive summary or a, a pitch deck that like would cause you to lean in or just kind of dismiss it uh, at first blush? Yeah, so I would say probably every firm may be slightly different, but at least speaking for HealthQuest, what we want to try and do is get the most information as quickly as possible because we're obviously looking at a number of opportunities. And in this day and age, and I don't know if it's uh, it speaks to patients or lack thereof, uh, you know, a typed out two-page executive summary, which is what we used to say, is actually probably less effective than just a short deck where people can click through it and get a sense of it. So just from a medium point of view, I would encourage short decks as opposed to two or three or four pages of text. Uh, so that's just one, one thought. The second is, you know, the components uh, that are easiest for us, uh, by the way, not a requirement, but since you're asking me to prioritize, I mean, we look at the team page first. Mm. Uh, and so if, you know, if the entrepreneurs have expertise in that area, 
they've done it before. That's a big plus. Uh, sometimes that's not the case because they're first-time entrepreneurs, but they've surrounded themselves with advisors or board members who are quite credible. Again, since we don't know them, we're looking for biomarkers and proxies. Uh, and so if the former CEO of Medtronic has decided to be an advisor to your medical device company, that, that's an interesting data point for us. So we looked there first. Uh, I do think that everything we're focused on uh, should be transformational, right? Because the amount of work it takes, as you know, Scott, to make a company successful is the same, whether you're going after a hundred million TAM market or a you know $50 billion market, you're going to be working. Uh, and so from our point of view, the, the size of the opportunity and the scale of it uh, needs to be attractive. And by the way, that's not a value statement on businesses. There's some businesses that are great businesses. They should not raise our kind of capital, right? They should get bootstrapped. They should raise a, some angel money and they should go for the $50 million outcome. And it would be a great return for their $3 million investment. But for us, we really are looking for large transformative opportunities uh, and in part, you know, that fit our capital uh, investment style. So second, I would say, results in the overall opportunity. And what's interesting is, you know, I happen to become from a technical background, being a physician, scientist, engineer, uh, but you'll note that the first two components I mentioned are people and market. I will say that, of course, the product and the technology does ultimately matter and is it differentiated and is it proprietary and, and so forth, but that's probably third on the list uh, in terms of how we, uh, we look at it. And, and we want the delta there to be meaningful uh, in terms of outcome and so those are some of the things that that we look at from a high level point of view. Yeah, I, lo- I love the fact. I mean, all all fantastic insights. I love the fact that you brought up, um, you know, the, the the opportunity that may not be a good fit for HealthQuest, right? But it could it could be a, a decent outcome, you know, oh, yeah. with, with other other potential capital partners or just other partners in general. And I remember I remember an interview that I did with um, with Paul Buckman. I'm not sure if you know Paul. He's mm-hmm. uh, was early at SciMed, led Pathway, a number of kind of cardiovascular startups. Great, great guy. I think he's kind of uh, kind of reached that point in his career where I'm not sure how much he's involved in in, uh, in business ventures anymore, but just such such a great guy. And I remember he mentioned that he's like, too many entrepreneurs just are like they're so focused on this one this one outcome. It's like you know maybe maybe the best play there is a fifty million dollar exit, a seventy five million dollar exit, and you don't you don't need to think about raising a Series C or Series D for something like that, you know. And it was just it was. It was your comments just kind of reminded me of like a you know similar similar kind of thought pattern yeah. that he had as well. Actually, you know that triggers another thought that I think maybe worth sharing is that sometimes individuals in in my seat in particular get confused. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, great companies don't always require uh, investment capital. I mean, there's a lot of companies that were bootstrapped and. Maybe they raised angel capital or friends and family. They never raised institutional capital. And so what we do is actually not an obligatory requirement for a great business. The flip side is actually not true. There are no great investors that didn't have entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> and so I think sometimes people get confused because they have a checkbook. And, and, and so it really comes down to the right fit. And you know, to be fair, as investors, we have to partner with entrepreneurs. Some entrepreneurs actually don't have to do that. Uh, so I just think it's mindful to uh, to also remember that everybody at our team understands that that that's the case, and and hopefully you know any entrepreneur that interacts with us you know feels that way as well. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. 
The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.